etiwi no mai hoki mai no ki te ahikā. Ko tāne rau tūta tēnei, kia ora tātou katoa. Te ahikā picks up on our panel discussion on the Traditional Knowledge Revival Pathways project and the benefits stemming from the initiative. We also learn how one rōpū from the Chatham Islands took the chance to learn from the group promoting Traditional Knowledge Revival Pathways and what it means to them. This week on Ngā Taonga Kōrero, we hear from the late Sir James Henare and what it was like to grow up under two education systems. And we head across the ditch to Australia to find out how Māori living in the lucky country are reconnecting with their identity. Opportunities to preserve and safeguard traditional knowledge are under constant threat by a number of issues. Māori, for example, have experienced it for a number of years, from first contact with Europeans through to urban migration in the 1950s, 60s and 70s. Now the loss of this intelligence can result in the ultimate loss of identity. In Australia there is a project known as the Traditional Knowledge Revival Pathways that is working to strengthen the knowledge base within Aboriginal communities. Last week on Te Ahikā, we heard from one Australian rōpū that is ensuring that their traditional knowledge of Indigenous Australians is regained and retained. Victor Stevenson, Ron Archer and Danny Fisher spoke to Maria about the systems within Aboriginal groups and how the knowledge is being dispersed. So tell me about how a um, how a country is organised. So for, for Māori, we have... We're all linked to through whakapapa, right? So mm. through blood. Mm. And then um, it starts off quite broad. So you all come from one particular ancestor, then it comes narrows right down to the point where you're all just one family who have the same surname. Is that the same? You, it, it operates in a number of ways. We call it skin name. Uh, take the four of us men here. We could have four different skin names, mm-hmm. yet... When we cross, say, if I'm sitting across the table, I might be in the wrong position, right? We're wrong skin name. This fellow's skin name here, uh, Victor, I can't have anything to do with his family, right? Because I can't marry into that line because he's a poison relationship, right? But with Danny, yeah, we can marry. Our family can marry this way. But then this fellow, he might belong to saltwater people. So under saltwater, saltwater people might be shark people, can marry with the crocodile people. So we got the system worked out where we say, well, that keep all the family from marrying mm. too close together. So we say, well, this is the poison relationship. You can't, boy and girlfriend can't exist there, right? Because he's a poison relationship. But when you look at this fellow, yeah, so we, we look after shark people and crocodile people might be able to marry, see? So that's the way we keep that line. Eh? And then, but you get young people today, they're falling in love with anyone. And, <laughs> and it's hard to steer those young people on, a, on the right road, you know? And what we're doing now is making sure that when, when uh, our young people have children, that they take that thing back from that woman and bury it on the country. They connect that child to that country through that. What kept that child and mother alive inside now keep that child connected to country when that thing is buried on country? 
So that young person, he grew up knowing, hey, that's, that's where my grandmother buried me there, that thing there. I belong to this yeah. country. Yeah. He, he, he forms him really strong. And so strong, he's just like that mother and child. If something happened, you cut that cord inside, that child die. And as he's saying, you take that kid away from his country, he lost. Mm. So you put that child back there and, and he know that he's from that country. It's a strong thing, you know. Mm, it is. Yeah. yeah we have a similar practice. But overall, it's, you know, it's true. Like, it's all the same. You know, we're all linked. We're all family. When it comes down to the final wire, we all have the same connection to country. Um, mm. And we all have the same baseline formula in terms of applying our knowledge to country and applying it to, to um, ourselves as well, which forms the kinship. And with the knowledge system itself and the structure of our knowledge system, when it's painted on the database and the actual structure of the database, that is what is going to be most exciting with implementing the project into New Zealand is to see how the knowledge structure is really similar and the same. And mm-hmm. what we're really trying to um, show here by you know, getting, our, getting this project out to many communities po- as possible and doing the same thing is re-strengthening that kinship system and recreating it in a contemporary sense. And the more that we see the similarities in people and with our connections to the country, I think um, the better. Mm. Now, this this program relies on a database, which I'm guessing requires a computer. <laughs> so <laughs> how does that work out in the, in the what-whops? <laughs> well, when you look at it, the... Um... There's a lot of running around that solar panel. <laughs> Yeah, run around with a solar yeah. panel there for <laughs> Anyway, um, going back with resources now, like um, we, we have uh, Apple Macs um, that um, we use. You know, it's got we load all our editing stuff of you know after we're getting our cameras and all that, and with the database we load it onto the onto the laptop <laughs> and. You know, with, <laughs> with the database, what Victor was explaining before, like it's all about plants, animals, people, all that stuff. So we have a video camera. Okay, it's straight down the line, basic stuff. You know, a video camera, we catch all these footages. Then, you know, got to charge your battery up on a solar panel or, <laughs> you know, get into town and charge it up at someone's place. And then... You know, you actually catching all the stuff, ha- stripping this tree down. Now it's it's you're taking it from bark, then it's from the bark to the sap, then you taking it from the sap to the inside of the of the tree, then you go from the from the inside of the tree to the leaf, mm-hmm. then from that leaf you attach that to the animal to that leaf or to that person. So you're actually it's like your human body, you know, your hair, your skin, your nerves, your muscles, your organs, your mind, your spirit, your body. And so you capture all that stuff, then you put it on this laptop. And um, with the laptop, you do, like, all this editing. And I tell you what, you know, burn your eyes out, yeah. you get frustrated. Um, but it's a great way of using all that stuff. And once you have finished doing all your editing, you transfer that stuff 
onto a database. Okay, so yeah. how do you mean you transfer it on? You transfer the, the, the work, vocal information you're vocal, here Vocal, um, um, the images mm. into this mm. big, um, into QuickTime or probably someone oh, right, might so they can yeah. tap on it and they see mm. somebody explaining something. Yep. Mm. Then after that, then we do the transcribe to it. Or if the person is too... Uh, you can't understand that person because that person's walking away. So you add, add in subtitles. Then when you load it into the database, you're either, you have to, like in the description of um, the tree, and you just type in, oh, the tree has this thorny bark on it and the sap has a milky sap to it. Or So you're doing all that stuff. Then you switch it to another page. So... When I say that you're breaking it by nerve to nerve when you're doing your editing, it's like, okay, then the first part is, you probably ask the question, say, what is the name of that tree? And that tree, and the elder be saying there, well, you know, the the Aboriginal name for that tree is, say, Jugu. So you got one section, so you add that into the database, mm -hmm. so it's the Aboriginal name. So then you get the other one that's probably a medicine so from that same tree. So you break that little section down. And so you go and medicine, then the management to that tree. Wow, this yeah. is intense stuff. Yeah, but mm. it's, it's not intense. Awesome, though. It, it, yeah. it's, it awesome. sounds scary when you're doing it, mm -hmm. but you know that our younger generation awesome. needs to learn all the stuff. Even myself, mm. I have mm. to learn to know my country. And... You know the technical side to it. I'm there to help. So you you're you go in. You're showing the community how to do it, mm. and then you're just guiding them through it. And it's theirs yeah. when it's, it's theirs. done. And when they got that empty wow. database, it's it's basically a work plan yeah. because it's right there ready for them then, and they just start filling it out. God, I bet you guys have heard some hard case stories. <laughs> well, yeah. some of the I've got a group of young people on country. You know. They range from 12 down to two years old. And if I'm going out to do a project, I'll t take these little fellows. We might be hunting for jumbun. Jumbun is a long grub, milky grub that lives in a certain tree. So we go and we dig this fellow out. They dig him out. They look for him. I tell them what sign to look for. They say, here, Granddad, here, that sign here. I said, all right, dig him out now, and I'm working the video. These little fellas, and then I said, well, what you can do with this little grub? And they're talking, well, you can cook it or you can eat it raw. Or, and they said, well, what you going to, I said, what you going to do now? And I'm, I'm just, when I edit the video, it's just these little guys talking. And they're sitting around and they make a little fire and they'll cook that little grub on the fire. So it's, they're part of it. It's it's not only the elders talking about this, but the knowledge that we passed on to them kids, they're practising it. And they got their own little mm -hmm. traditional knowledge recording clippage. Mm. You know, and they'll sit down and they'll rewind that thing back and, yeah, look at it, look, look at it, and then they'll all laugh. And, <laughs> and they said, look, look, even then they know that video and what that little fella going to do in that video, they just laugh. And that that's that's the beauty of the program. It's it's not only for the old ones. It's us teaching the young one and using that technology to teach those young people. 
And when they see them in there, I've just finished a uh, five-day uh, biodiversity workshop on country, and it's all about the young fellas. It's not about my elders. It's about these young fellas going out, checking those traps, asking the question, what that little animal? And and they get, you know, they really get excited because it's their video, and they see themselves there, and that, that you know, if we're going to teach these young people, that's the sort of stuff we need to get them involved in. That's right. And if you look at the technology side of things, and even though we've talked a lot about a database and using technology, well, the technology in a database is basically a safety net. Um, our main priority is getting people back on the land, mm, and that's rich. the main objective. And as people get back on the land and as we get our management back happening on country, the database will become less and less um, used and less and less talked about because people will be back on the land. Mm. So we're gathering the tools that we need, and then as we move along, we're getting moving back to the purity of being back on country. And I think the opportunity, a lot of our people may not have that opportunity to go back on country. They might decide they want to stay in town, but that information is available to them through DVDs and stuff that we record and we say, if you don't want to come back on country, well, you can learn a country like this. But one day you'll need to go back and look at that country, what we're talking about. But they can pick up that information at home. So basically what's happening is you're reversing stuff that's happened to you over mm. the generations, aren't you? Yeah. This is what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, it's, yeah. yeah. It's a solution that we've developed. You know, because we, you know, and a solution is developed by people who have been disadvantaged, mm. and it's the best, and it's the best, and it's the only way to um to provide a solution is for the people themselves. From a cultural perspective, mm. the only thing that was missing in my life as an elder was I couldn't speak my language, so I went back, found my language, and I speak that language, and when I'm talking to them grannies, <laughs> I'll ask them, "Why? What that word for that?" White man or Pakia call him witchy grub. We call him jambon. I said, hey, when you jambon, you know why you can't go jambon? Yeah, yeah, make a fire, make a fire. <laughs> they want to, I just saying, well, you're going to eat him? Yeah, so they make a fire. <laughs> I, and I, I was down the creek with my young fellow again, the grandson, and he said, oh, granddad, look, you, we're not catching any fish. He said, you better talk to them old people. So I talk in a language, you know, and I sing out to them old people's, you know, ancestors. Oh, Granny, you want fish? Can you send a fish? I don't know why, but a couple of minutes after, he caught this fish. And he pulled him up on the bank, and when he got up on the bank, as Danny was uh, showing us today, that young fellow, Crobbery, he shake a leg. He danced because he was that happy that he caught that fish. I never told him to do it. But he knew that's that's how. He said, oh, granddad, you ask them old people? I said, yeah. Then he caught that fish, and then he said, come on, we go have a feed. (laughs) We talk about it, but when you see it actually happening, when you're there at that point in time, and you see your grandchild picking up the knowledge that you've been passing on to him, and, and he grabs hold of that knowledge, and he just says, Granddad, this is what we need to do. Then I walk away feeling really good inside, my heart really strong, because I know that Granny's been listening to me. 
it's, it's difficult too because um, at this point in time we've we've lost um, quite a lot of volumes of the encyclopedia, and so I guess where TKRP comes in is is it's a really useful tool to make sure that we've got as as many volumes that are left now recorded. You know, like Danny's granddad's ninety one, and his grandma's eighty four. You know, and we're sort of at that point now where we've still got connections back to. Uh, the old ways and the old days, you know, like uh, the uh, the early opening up of, of Cape York, for example, and the cattle industries up there, like old, with old Dr George in, in Laura. We've still got those connections and it's really important that um, the effort is made now to to get as much of that information down as we can because uh, when it's gone, it's gone, you know, yeah. and, and I think that's, that's one of the really big um, similarities. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're... Aboriginal from Australia or Māori, you know, um, it's the same. The same thing is happening. You know, where we are losing the ba- the last bastions to, you know, the the the, the way we um, we lived prior to. You know, like, um, and so it's important for us to make sure that we take the effort and take the time to listen, you know, and to learn and to to make sure that we have steps in place um, so that if in a 20 years time or two generations time if children ask the question about what their cultural identity is um, then at least there is some opportunity to learn that and to understand what the answer may well be you know mm. it's very true because you know I went to high school year 11 and because I was having so much time so it's just so much hard time at high school like it was hard to identify myself well, of course I got you know black skin but it was hard to find out where I was. You know, I used to travel around Australia, just flying here and there, you know, to find out identity. But right there, the reality of it was my grandparents. They were just right there. Why? I don't know, because of drugs and alcohol during then. But today, I could see the stress and the pain my grandparents go. And he said, go out and teach people. Your your home is always going to be there. It's never going to move. So I take an account of what my elders say. I go out, and before I flew over here, I was um, teaching and training the high school students at my old school. And I'll tell you what, bad memories. <laughs> but going there... What did the teachers say when they saw you, Danny? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I remember yeah. you. Yeah, here you go. So, yeah, so my old teacher was a... Was, is the principal at, at the high school. So, But the hardest thing was, and it's still going on today, is that our teacher doesn't have time for our students, for our Indigenous students, even students who are not even non-Indigenous. They're finding it hard. And Is this in a city school? Yeah, it's a little town school, you know, and, um, and just going and, and seeing that stuff... And the teachers are supposed to be there to help the students. They had to do a leadership uh, on a DVD, and they had all these cuts and you know um, interviews with with elders. And um, the hardest thing was that the equipment was not up to date. So, so the teachers looked at, "Now nah, you can do it. You know, you just another." You know, you're right. You know what you're doing, and they was just crying out. And then um, Uncle Brian came up to me in November. Oh, Danny, 
was wondering, uh, would you have time to come to the high school and you know help these students out with their um, leadership DVD? I said, no worries. Let's go. Oh, we got no funding. I said, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about funding. I'll just go there and you can just you know, get it later on down the road. So that's what they're doing now. But they didn't know how to use a camera. I showed them how to, oh, this is more easy. I didn't know that. We didn't even get taught that in, in high school. And these are students who's coming up in year 12. And, oh, I didn't know you can do this in editing. Oh, yeah, yes, you can. What? You just don't get taught? No, we don't get taught that. And it's hard. And I showed them interviews techniques. Don't, don't, don't be inside in a, in a studio when you're, when you're interviewing old people. They love to go out to be interviewed with the trees, with nature, and, and feel the spirit coming in. And that's what I'm trying to implement at, at Mossman High School, to learn that there's not just, you know, Japanese language, hey, what about us? What about our people? Meaning our people, all people in, in the whole Australia. Well, it puts a value on it, eh? Yeah. Mm. Well, hey, instead of putting a value on something else, mm. something that's been imported. That's, mm. that's true because, you know, every every year when um, year eights come into, into a high school in Mossman, they only do half a year of um, back home, Googie Yalanji. That's, mm. that's it. Only half a year. And the rest of the year is probably Japanese. And um, so then, either that, then every year they have about NADOT probably a week, and that's it. So, mm. so the communities, um, you hear, you, people hear about this through word of mouth, right? Communities, mm. you go to a community, you show some interest, mm. you go there. Now, is that what's happened in this case while you're in Aotearoa doing a tour around for the next couple of weeks? Yeah, um, we had Victor come over in April and he did a presentation um, and at that presentation there were some um, representatives of uh, the Moriori down on um, Rekohu and it struck up a really good rapport and, uh, and over that time the rapport has developed to, um, to the point where Victor's now back again. <laughs> and um, G'day, bro. And, and, and we're, we're off to, um, to uh, Rekohu tomorrow um, to work. Uh, spend the next week uh, working with Moriori. Um, we we are uh, showing them the, um, the interview techniques that Danny's mentioned. Um, we're we're working with them on um, that mentorship uh, and the exchange of, of information and ideas and the way that things are done back home in in Australia um, and the way things are done on Rekohu and we sort of. We want that relationship to continue and, and record who will then be a, a part of the traditional knowledge revivals pathway family um, because Victor's also doing some work with people over in North America. And I guess from from a very uh, pragmatic point of view, what we want to see happen is that we want to see more of these relationships fostered between Indigenous peoples, um, uh, First Nations, and we want to see more of these relationships fostered and developed because it's, it's too important for us to just let it go. You know, I think we're not doing anybody any service, least of all people who aren't here yet. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's and it's yeah, it's not our it's not our right to say what isn't what is and isn't for them. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's most important for us to have these relationships and to make sure that they're fostered and developed, and more and more uh, um, uh, interested groups come in. You know, um, but then also taking on board what Victor said that. Um, 
for a small team that's based out of Australia and funding being an issue and um, yeah, everybody loves it but nobody wants to, you know, chip in, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Would you if, feel compromised, though, if the um, Commonwealth started supporting the project? Well, if they started re- to support the project um, on a, you know, on a ongoing basis, solid basis where I wouldn't have to be doing reviews and I could just build a, the ultimate team to implement um, traditional knowledge back on country, to record knowledge with communities and, and you know, to show benefits and successes and change for the future instantly, um, that'd be great, you know. I mean, even here coming to this, to New Zealand, there really has no been no support even from um, Australia in terms of, you know, um, getting behind an initiative that's really, you know, been started off in the country and um, proudly going into um, other cultures around the world and um, that is a big thing and a big step um, yeah. for a grassroots project that's had no, you know, hardly no support and, and just driven by heart. At the moment in New Zealand, um, the three of us are here on no wages. We're doing this for nothing. Um, we're putting the project into the first um, in, um, international um, project here in New Zealand and um, we're doing it because it's important. We're doing it because we want to build those relationships that, that Jim was talking about and show people that, hey, look what's happening here, get your shoulder behind this stuff. And once again, um, showing the similarities in people again from all over the world in terms of um, the importance of connecting back to the land and, and getting our old practices back into, into contemporary sense. Mm. Mm. i just give one more parting thought. I think the, the, the whole environment is our best classroom. You know, and that what we've tried to do is we've tried to box things by putting four walls and a blackboard. You know, and I think what what each and every one of these people who work on the, the traditional knowledge revivals pathways project and and other um, cultural exchanges show is that the best classroom for learning uh, is the outdoors. You know, and getting out and feeling the earth and walking the country and seeing the singing the, you know, um, that that's the best classroom we have. You know. Um, yes, I mean it's it's the most important thing to remember is that when we're out walking it, we're walking it. When we're inside four walls in a classroom, or we're sort of away from it, you know. Because there's two basic principles, or two main principles that build this project that have come directly from our old people, and that is one to save that knowledge, and learn that knowledge, and the other principle is to demonstrate that knowledge, and the two of them go hand in hand. And demonstrating that knowledge allows us to provide case studies, allows us to put stuff back on the country. And that's the stuff that our kids should be learning in schools and learning to read from, learning to, learning to do their technology skills with as well. Uh, while we're maintaining our old values, we can do whatever we like with technology as long as we maintain our values. Because it was Danny's grandmother that told me this one thing, you know, you can go as far as you like, you can do whatever you want to do, but never forget um, where it all comes from, never forget the roots. And basically, um, that's what's happening. You know, a lot of the roots have been lost into a lot of systems, and we need to be trying to reapply that again. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah, like even Granddad. You know, the day we stop learning is the day we die. You know, we can't learn anything after we die. What do we learn? We start. Well, what, we, what, what we learn is that, oh, what a shame we missed that poor bugger. I wish yeah. we had a video camera. Well, <laughs> hey? yeah. Wish we'd have recorded him. Yeah. You know, how many times have we seen that yeah. happen, you know? Yeah. And, and it's the same here, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I can't push that point hard enough. Is that, well, we've got the opportunity, we should take it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, and despite what anyone says, um, 
within family, within um, governments, within within anywhere, the idea at this point in time is to put our heads down and just go for it and just get the thing done. Um, because if we get caught up in all the politics and rapids of of the world today, then it's just going to, you know, that's the reason why we're in a, in, in a problem in the first place, you know. So that's what we've done with this project and, and a lot of the community people involved. Mm. Just put their head down and just and just do it. If I can just say one more thing, I just want to say um, thank you to all the hard people behind the scenes who have done a hell of a lot of work mm. um, in bringing um, Victor, Ron and Danny across, um, uh, Priest Sudith of the MED, uh, Marama Finley at MFish, uh, Susan Forbes and the Moriori people, um, and we're really looking forward to having a productive two weeks here. Um, and again, all these three fellas, have been, it's been fantastic to have them back and to see them again. So thank you. Thank you. Don't forget, you can also drop us a line at Tiahika, that's one word, at radioNZ.co.nz. That's Tiahika at radioNZ.co.nz. During a hui at the Ministry of Economic Development in April last year, Maui Solomon of Moriori and Naitahu descent was introduced to Victor Stevenson, who you just heard from on the Traditional Knowledge Revival Pathways project. Identifying rather than reinventing the wheel, Solomon saw it as an opportunity to use and strengthen relations across Indigenous nations. This included a visit to the challenge by the visiting Aboriginal Rōpū. The initial exchange involved the explanation of some Moriori terminology and practice, as Maui Solomon explains. We did some practical um, recordings out in the field with elders explaining the um, meanings behind the Baka Momori, the Moriori tree carvings, um, traditional customary fishing practices, various other environmental management knowledge uh, that uh, people on the island have, and then they showed us how to uh, to use the equipment, how to do the filming, and they gifted us the, the database, which took Victor about ten or fifteen years to develop. So overall, it's very successful, and we're looking forward to a reciprocal visit, if not this year, uh, early next year. One of the challenges of working in a rural environment is ready access to what city folk take for granted, an on-tap power source. So. What about an island reliant on other sources? Yeah, we have um, uh, diesel generators which provide um, electricity to most of the homes on the Chathams. Um, but you know, we have uh, we have broadband internet access. Um, and energy is a, certainly an issue for the island, particularly for for larger type projects. Um, you know, fish processing factories and things like that. But for what we're talking about here, um, you know, power supply is not really, uh, not really an issue. Okay. Uh, in some of the more the, rem- the remoter communities that Victor would be working with, with his people in Australia, um, way in the outback, I'm, I'm sure that would be a, um, a problem. If the purpose of the Traditional Knowledge Revival Pathways Project is to revive and restore Indigenous knowledge, what then? if that knowledge, as is the case with Moriori, was wiped out years ago. We're in um, a fairly unique situation in the sense that a lot of our knowledge was lost um, with elders when they died off 100 years ago, you know, because of the, you know, the decimation of our people, of our culture. Um, but, you know, I think if you look hard enough, you'll find that a lot of this knowledge um, is, is recoverable. And there are still elders on the island who have a lot of local knowledge, 
both Moriori and non-Moriori. You know, the Murapakea people who have lived on the island since the 1840s who have accumulated a lot of uh, environmental knowledge, um, and that needs to be acknowledged and respected and recorded. So, you know, we're recording as much Moriori traditional knowledge as we can, but we're also acknowledging that uh, there are other knowledge holders who have lived on the land for, you know, um, five, six, seven generations um, who have developed uh, an in-depth knowledge of the uh, how the environment is to be looked after. Um, so acknowledging them as a contemporary day kaitiaki as well. Um, so we're, we're looking at building up um, that knowledge database, um, both for ourselves but also for um, better environment, environmental management um, for the future and looking at it mainly from I guess a, a cultural perspective rather than from a, a Eurocentric kind of scientific perspective. Um, but if you bring the best of those worlds together, the traditional knowledge and, and the scientific knowledge, um, and, and often you know, indigenous knowledge is scientific knowledge as well, um, then you can develop a, a better template for environmental management. The database that Victor um, developed is... Um, He's, you know, it took about five or six hours for that database to be loaded onto um, the computers on the island. Um, and, and that is the database, that is the storage system. So whatever information we record, whether it's audio, visual, um, whatever it might be, is loaded into that database and, um, and then it's transcribed if it's in, in the real or the re. Um, so you've got images, you've got sound, and then over the years, um, you can keep adding to that information, um, and it's sort of done in a holistic, on a holistic way. So you can link into a whole lot of other, um, for example, the knowledge of you know managing the power fishery and how that relates to managing other customary fisheries, how to you know um, regrowing um, seaweed on the rocks and harvesting cutting or all of those sorts of integrated management systems, but from a local community level mm-hmm. rather than, you know, from the top down, this is from the bottom up approach. Um, and, and that database can be continually built on. It's, it's like it can go into infinity, if you like. Um, so there's no limit to the um, knowledge that can be stored in that database. And that's the beauty of it. Um, and it can link into a whole range of other activities. Um, both for educational resources, environmental management, um, identity, so you know, giving back people a sense of who they are and where they've come from. So there's a whole lot of diverse range of um, uses to which this, this database can be uh, can be put to. In uh, Victor's case, um, I think it's been really successful in demonstrating to Western uh, scientists and, and environmental managers that you know Aboriginal people have their own way of managing the environment, for example, managed um, burn-offs in the, in the bush. So a lot of those big fires that rage through parts of Australia is because there hasn't been an active environmental management program that, that was carried out by Aboriginals for tens of thousands of years. So you're getting a build-up of all the fuel in the bush, and when you have a, someone strike a match, you know, it rages through hundreds and thousands of hectares, square hectares of land. Um, so they are now starting to use their traditional knowledge and, and national parks are starting to appreciate and acknowledge and respect that um, this knowledge can be used to provide better environmental outcomes for, for everybody, uh, in particular for the, 
um, flora and fauna of these natural habitats. Could one benefit of the Traditional Knowledge Revival Pathways project be the cross-generational communication occurring with young people manning the video equipment recording their komatua? No, absolutely. And working, having the young people uh, working um, with elders, I think is one of the key um, benefits of this program because um, it validates who they are. Um, it's a way of transmitting that knowledge through to them um, and training, and, and they can be trained up in how to use the database. I mean, young people today are far more savvy, as you say, with uh, computer technology, um, so it can be done. Um, in in modern ways and in ways which younger people are more able to relate to and to to access Um, so the knowledge can be accessible whether if you're on Rekohu or whether you're in Australia or whether you're wherever you are in the world you can still um, be able to tap into this knowledge database by you know you can have portals for access to different you know it can be different whānau groups have their sort of own whānau knowledge systems there can be the the hapu the, the iwi so the different levels in which you can sort of access this knowledge. Um, so it is a, it's great in terms of um, getting young people involved and, and getting them um, educated in, in how the system works. Given the shared experience of colonisation, is there an issue of authenticity around what constitutes Indigenous knowledge? That will always be an issue. Um, you know, what is, what is teka and what's what's not. Um, but I don't think knowledge um, is something that's static in any event. It, this knowledge doesn't exist in, in a vacuum. It continues to evolve. Uh, it continues to grow and to develop and um, respond to, you know, modern day circumstances. Um, and, and in Moriori, in our case, we're having to reconstruct our knowledge base because it was, you know, virtually wiped from the face of the earth. Um, but not completely. There's enough knowledge recorded in archives and in manuscripts and in books and goodness knows where. There's an awesome, um, uh, huge amount of recorded traditional knowledge about um, Moriori. Um, and, and you're quite right, filtering that um, through, uh, you know, to make sure that you've got the authentic thing. Um, we, we tend to look at it more, what are the core values of our people? What did they do? What did they believe in? How did they conduct themselves? Um, and and I think the values as opposed to knowledge and wisdom as opposed to knowledge um, is more important. Um, and, uh, and I think if, if something's working, um, then it's worthy of being recorded and respected. Um, so... Yeah, it's a, I can't give you a, a black and white answer for that because um, I think that's a, that's a tricky one. I mean, you could have two traditional knowledge experts who disagree on the meaning of a word. Mm. Um, so there's always going to be that, that debate, um, and, and I think it's a healthy debate. In our case, because we're coming from a, a ground zero position in, in rebuilding our traditional knowledge base, those uh, debates, those arguments have occurred um, and they'll continue to occur, but we're also um, uh, modern enough to say, well, okay, we're going to have to um, create new traditions um, for our Morai protocols, for the way we do things. And um, that's what we did at the opening of Kopinga Morai. Um, 
we looked at the, the way our people did things. Um, they, they had their marae, mainly they were uh, held, um, the gatherings were held in, in kopi groves. So we, our marae is known as kopinga. It's a building, a five-sided building. Um, it's not out under the trees, but it's, uh, it's faithful to the, the principles and the values of those traditions. Um, so, you know, you've got to live in the modern world as well. Uh, that's why I say, you know, knowledge systems, if they don't evolve, if they don't develop, then they shrivel and die. So when will uh, Moriori be implementing the database? When will you be um, starting? Well, we've started. We started when um, Victor and his people were on the island. That was back um, in December. Yeah. So we've started the recording process and, you know, there's no end. It just continues to evolve and develop and you feed in information into it. So eventually all of the um, briefs of evidence that were submitted to the Waitangi Tribunal, all of that will be digitally recorded. Um, you know, we're continuing to conduct interviews with uh, Rangata Matua, our elders, uh, and with young people. Um, so it's up and running now. Awesome. And um, your relationship with the Traditional Knowledge Revival Pathways group in, of Indigenous Australians, will that be ongoing? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, it was real. It was a special honour for us to host uh, our brothers from um, uh, Australia, and was the first uh, Indigenous people um, outside of New Zealand that, that we had hosted. Um, so it was a real honour to have uh, Alpha Noma from across the ditch. And, um, you know, they literally are like Fano now. Um, that happened pretty quickly. We, you know, they were from completely different countries. They, they called uh, their, their territory Rohi and being in country. But, you know, we, the Wairu is the same. The values are the same, um, and uh, we, we certainly will be maintaining those uh, those links because they are like family to us. Maui Solomon, Moriori, Naitahu, and you're listening to Tiahika on Radio New Zealand National. This week on Ngā Taonga Kōrero, we hear from the late Sir James Henare no Tihine and his experiences of learning under both the Māori and Western education systems. His speech is from the Hui Mātauranga Māori held at Tūranga Wai in 1984. This week on Te Ahika, Henare speaks about the influence of his father and grandfather, what little use Latin had to him, and the first generation of Kohanga Reo Tamariki. When I came out of Massey, then I went for two years to the last of the Wharewananga of Ngāpuhi as a student of the Wharewananga. That was the last of the Wharewananga of Taitukura. For two years then, I spent at the Wharewananga. My father insisted and my grandfather that I had to go to the Wharewananga. Waihoka to Mātauranga Pākehakitataha so for two years then, I spent at the Wharewananga at Waiomu. There were ten of us. Yakonai. Anokapake kenei. 
me te aroha nui i ngā taonga o tā tūtūpuna. He mea ko mai noi te wānō e itiun. I still regard my mother tongue as my first language. I still do. Although at the Sacred Heart we had to take Latin. Latin was compulsory. We were told that we were not cultured and educated people unless we took Latin. So Latin was compulsory. So that was my third language. What use it is to me today, I don't know, apart from a few Latin tags I still remember. But my number one language was Māori, and number two, Te Reo Pākehā. Me pēhā tuhe koro māku ki koutou, ki ngā mātauranga o tangutu. And remember also, I was born in Taitokarau into the age where, I suppose, with the exception of three of us, the rest of our people were almost illiterate, or semi-illiterate. Then we were regarded as their spokes, spokesmen, whatever it was. To me, this was then the wide field and wide education I had by being involved in land and all sorts of things on behalf of my people, presentation of submissions to Royal Commission and all sorts of things. It was a tremendous field of education for myself and those of my generation who had some education. And the rest of our people were semi-illiterate or illiterate. In Pākehā terms, there's a distinction between being illiterate in Pākehā terms and illiterate in Māori terms. In Pākehā terms. Well now, I look back on those days, you know, even now, I dream about those days and the education we had. Uh, although the strap and the cane was forever there. At the Sacred Heart College, the ritual was for the brother when he walked into the classroom every morning was to unhitch his bamboo cane from within inside his cassock and lay it on the table. As soon as he arrived, that was the ritual. And God help anyone who's caught whispering. Well, you go into the classroom today, they're all talking, they're all very, very good. In my days, God help you uh, if you were caught whispering. I was caught whispering once, and I was told to go out and sing Ave Maria. And the brother knew I couldn't sing very well. But I, however, I had to sing it. Well, perhaps recited was a better word. Ave Maria, that was my punishment for whispering. So if you start yakking at this conference, you may be punishment out to sing Ave Maria. Pohidiarangi. <laughs> Ke 
i te reo, i ngā mahi ākoromā kuima kā tahi ano ka pūāwai ki te ao, he tangata Māori. Kā tahi ano. Mai rā nau kōrero i tēnei kōrero, i roto i ngā tau maha, tēnō mai kia ue tuatune. Ko te kōrero, mehe mea, kāore, ki te hoki a tātou mokopuna i te rā nei, ki te reo Māori i te kohanga reo, kei te awangawanga ngā kaiako i ngā kura i te rā nei, a pōpōakhe nei, a nei te tokomahao ngā tamariki Māori, mōhio ki te reo Māori, ka pēhea i nga taiatu ki ngā kura i te wā nei. Kāore hea awangawanga, ka pēhea o ti mātou i o mātou rā, kāore mōhio te koro pākehā. And can I say this in English? We found no difficulty in grasping the fundamentals of the English language. In fact, we picked up English very rapidly. I've often been asked the question, why? You take Sarapirananata, all these great scholars of our Māori people of their generation, who knew no English, and the people of our generation, who knew no English, and yet were able to pick up English very rapidly. I know that some people are a little concerned today that before very long there will be a few thousand children graduated from the Kohongareo that will be attending our primary schools. Well, I can only base it on my generation, my own teaching. I had no difficulty. Tommy Kawe and I found no difficulty in keeping up with our contemporaries in our forms at the Sacred Heart, and yet there are only two of us Maori boys. We had no difficulty. Indeed, it is my proud uh, boast that I used to talk our forms in English, and coming from a Maori school to an almost predominantly Pākehā school. So then, my advice to the educationalists and teachers who are showing concern today, have no fears. These children going from the Kohangareo, they will pick up English rapidly. Can I tell you this, then I shall sit down. There is a Dutch family at my home village of Mortepau, came from Holland. In no time, those children were speaking very fluent Maori, Dutch children, at the Mototo school. Indeed, they're all married now, and they still speak Maori. I asked their father as to why it was that his children picked up Maori very rapidly. Well, he says, they know very little English, but they were taught their own Dutch language thoroughly. And that is why they were able to pick up Maori very quickly. Can the same then example the Maori children uh, used as in our day? And when we consider ways and means of educating our children from preschool to university level, can we think those, those very formative years, like our children now are going through the Kohongareo, those very formative years, five years, uh, by the time they learn English anyhow watching television. 
when they get home, sure. I know my grandson, uh, our little grandson Robert, he's six and a half years of age. Rapata koro Māori tāuane, yaki. Waiting to go to our yaki. Ketaya no kito no wahi mai koro Māori tāuane, ahu koro Māori mau o takumokupu. Ketaya no kito no wahi. Now you can take the TV. Grandpa, Friday night, half past seven, uh, Night Raiders or whatever it is. Uh, can I stay up late to watch Night Raiders? Grandpa, sing poie. You know those, uh, those Maori people singing poie. What's that, uh, Philip? He says, Kapa <laughs> James Henare, no Natihene. Now Sydney is home to thousands of expat Māori who can whakapapa from throughout Aotearoa. According to a census conducted in 2001, those living in Australia claiming Māori ancestry numbered around 73,000, and that was seven years ago. Now, estimated figures place that number of Māori living in Australia around the 125,000 mark. According to one report commissioned by Tapuni Kōkiri, Māori living in Australia are cut off from their culture. Māori living in Australia do not have broad keen structures and there is a lack of government understanding of cultural requirements. There is a Rōpū based in Sydney who are addressing these issues with a fundraising drive. Their aim is to construct a marae in Sydney with the hope that Australian-born Māori can connect with their birthright, their culture. Spokesperson for the marae appeal is Tepini Keenan, no te whanoapanui me Ngāti Parau. He explained to Tiahika the need for a marae based in Sydney. Oh yeah, been the need for a marae in Australia for a long, long time. And you know all the people here, all, the, all our people here have tried for many years. Māori have been interacting with this, with this country for hundreds of years, probably thousands of years. People don't know that. We've got landmark Māori names all around Sydney. Rangi Ho is a prime example, where Samuel Marsden had named a place called Rangi Ho after our um, old people from up north. So, you know, there's, um, there's a great need. Uh, there's more people nowadays coming over to more um, New Zealanders, Māori and Pākehā coming over to um, Sydney and to other bases in Australia. So there is a great need for marae in this country. So how did this fundraising um, attempt get underway? 
Well, basically, mate, because there's been a lot of uh, trials and tribulations in the past in terms of fundraising for the marae, it was very clear that one of the things that we were lacking was a, a major organisation of any sort with uh, structures to back that up, uh, you, you know, to uh, assist in the process. So myself being with the uh, Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union, one of the, probably the biggest union in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, I decided to use the resources we've got to try and set up a structure to assist our people in terms of a marae. And uh, how long is it going to be until you think the marae will be built? Well, I think we've got a, you know, if we were, if we were honest about the issue, you know, we're looking at three years. So we're looking uh, around 2011 then? Yeah, about 2011, and that's giving us some time to sort of put things together. What we're going to try and do is we're going to try and probably um, lease some government land if we can. For uh, for ninety nine years, and uh, and then put up our structure on on that sort of land. And we've already had some councils come forward with some land that they've got available at the moment. So we're just looking around and testing the water. Still early days yet. Still early days. Uh, we're still fundraising, um, you know, to get uh, the uh, the putter to put up the structure. But you know, those are part of the positives that we can that we can the union can bring to the. Um, to the Marae uh, um, fundraising uh, appeal. The other thing is that our union was actually, is actually the guts of the Labour Party here in this country. So you would have seen in the last election, um, for the first time, we've got every state which is a Labour gov- is, is, is a Labour government, and then we've got the federal government as Labour. So you know the ball's in our court at the moment. You know it's uh, it looks good. So there's no better opportunity than now to really apply the blow towards towards fundraising and towards uh, working towards our goal, which is the marae here in Sydney. Once it is established, once it is constructed and built, um, what will be the colour of the marae? Yeah, and that's a good question, Hida. Back home, I I just recently went back to uh, Parterre to have a look at the issues up at Parterre. And uh, in the the meeting, out come the Māori intertribal politics. Uh, because I'm Ngāti Pro, whānau apanui, what am I doing in Taranaki area, you know? And I, I, I'd actually missed that for a long, long time, and it was an eye-opener, and it was good to get back to it as well. Over here, the kawa is simple, and they've been doing the kawa here for many, many years. Wherever they have a hui or a tangi or whatever, if that um, if that hui, if the connection is from Ngāti Pro, oh, well, pororangi, I need the kawa. If it's from up to Taitokero, if there's a mate from Taitokero, Taitokero kawa. Simple. Do you think this will drive the urge for some of the, the Australian Māori, the young Australian Māori, to, to connect with their um, with their culture, something they may not have been exposed to before? I come across Māori here that have got Chinese um, parents, uh, you know, the dad is Chinese, the mum is Maori, then the daughter married a Korean, and then the Korean marries uh, Lebanese, and you're down about the three or four generations down the bottom, they still can identify that there's something special amongst themselves in terms of being Maori, and a lot of them are wanting to participate in language classes. What I find is, with, 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 with 
those sort of, um, uh, you know, of our whānau, that part of our whānau, is the urge is far greater. They want to know who they are. They want to know where their kroa and kuia come from. I'll give you a good example. Ti Manatahu. Ti Manatahu's father passed away. He spent all his years over here in a place called Burke at Newcastle. It came to the Tangihanga. And he's the only boy, and all his sisters gave him the opportunity to decide where they're going to take him, either Burke or Newcastle. And he said he'll take him back to New Zealand. He didn't know where it was. We found that the Papa back to Tiarawa. No worries. The urge is there. And um, so, you know, um, the, I could no doubt. And uh, yeah, the other thing, too, we've had racial issues over here. Well, we can fine-tune those things, you know. By having a marae here gives help the people, the Māori here, uh, a tūranga waiwai. When you got your tūranga waiwai, you got a place where you can identify. So when we go back home and uh, our whānau became calling us Māzis and rubber band Aussies, I can say, hey, I can fuck a papa back to this marae over there. Hmm. You know? How does that make you feel when you get called a Mozzie? Oh, no. I, I, I take it with a grain of salt. I, I, I understand, uh, but, uh, you know, it's going to be important for us to have our marae here because then we'll just say, listen, we have a marae. This is the name of it. It's been endorsed by the mana tangata. And uh, are here, and they will be identifying with that. Think, you know, having a marae, See, over here, we're classed as Polynesians. Māori doesn't have an existence in terms of the government funding. So when you're going to apply for government funding, they're saying, well, no, we gave $2 million out to the Polynesian organisation. So you go and dig deep into the Polynesian organisation, and good on them, good on them for doing it. It's because numbers are made up from the churches on the Sundays whether you cook island, salmon, tongue and whatever it is. They did a, a graph and that's how they get the that's how they get the uh, funding because of the numbers that they're able to have on their database. So we identify as Polynesians. We our Marae will then identify who we really are. We're Maori. And I suppose that identity is very important for the young Australian Maoris, particularly like you mentioned uh Timanatahu the former rugby league player and now playing for the Waratahs in the Super 14. Oh, well, they can understand, they can get the, they can know who they are, where they're from. No problem. And they can learn the kawa. And they can learn all the tikanga and all the things that come with having marais. Not only we hope to put up a marae there, but we hope to have a couple of things. Certainly, uh, we need one here for a lot of tamariki here. We have a kura here, been set up by the union, by the CFME, by the construction union. We set up a kura, and it runs uh, along uh, under the Chiatarangi. Uh, Fantastic kura. Uh, and <clears throat> they have 116 students this year, all adults. So, you know, um, everything is working towards the goal of achieving a marae here. Just wondering, on that journey to establishing the marae, are you taking some of those, that younger generation with you? Well, what we've done, a part and parcel of our structure of setting up the committee 
in relation to the Marais. We have our pakeke and our crow and our kuya. And there's always a place for them. There's no structure for them. They can come and go when they like. We have a... Also, we have a marketing committee that's got a lot of the young ones involved. And fantastic people. You know, they've got some fantastic jobs and skills that they can offer. Offer our community and our people. Um, and we're involving all different levels of the community. The trouble is, hey, you know, when, you, when you're here and you've got every walker here all together, everybody wants it to be there. The um, the uh, you know uh, the kawa and all those things, but we you know when you're when you're away from home, it's uh, uh, you know katakatoa maui Maori. We got to come together as one. And whilst we will have our our different hui's, uh, the most important thing is to pull everyone in together and more so our young people and get them more involved. And does uh, been working with our crow and queer, indicating that the time is now to allow our young people to flourish and not to hold them back, but to guide them. Actually, just on that, um, everyone having, wanting to have their say with their own tikanga kawa, um, is there a danger of if you try to generalise what might, what their identity as a Māori is, as opposed to actually identifying their own individual iwi hapu whānau? You know, that's a good question. There could be. There could be. Uh, at this stage, I can't see it because, you know, uh, everyone's got their own... Um, uh, they've got their own groups of people in the different areas, and when they come together, for example, like I said before, the two hui, um, hui were all two hui or had the kawa, and they can sit down and do their thing. But where, where it doesn't... Um, and why it's important for Marae is when they start intermarrying with Lebanese, intermarrying with different co- other cultures... And start and start and they start going on to a different journey, and then when they have to come back, that's where it gets a little bit tricky. Other than that, I think it's no different to being back home. It's just that where all the walkers are together, and uh, and and everyone's proud of their kawa, but we also respect each other's, and and I think that's the key. I don't think that to be a big drama. It's only when you interact with uh, with the different uh, cultures out there that I think you could be a stumbling block. But, you know, provided we've got our language school um, and our marae up there where our crow and queer can keep on nursing through, um, generally I think we'll be all right. Tipini Kenan, no te whanau apanui, mena te parau, ona iwi. And the fundraising rōpū have a page on the Bebo website. Their address is bebo.com forward slash Sydney Marae Appeal. That's all one word, so check it out. Ane te whakabarama, a te nei. He ao te rangi ka uhia, he kai te whare wananga ka tōroa. As clouds deck the heaven, so food prolongs the wananga. The food of knowledge leads to extended sessions of the whare wananga, the house of learning. Kia ora, ko Joe O'Brien taku ingo, ko Ngāti Awa tuku iwi. and that brings Tiahi Khan to a close. Next week on the show, we'll be taking a look at the rights of Indigenous people from around the world. E mihi mahana ki ngā kai kōrero e tēnei wiki. Ki te whānau, kei konei, rātou mā ngā kai rā wiki wiki mihini, nā tangata ke roti te whare pukapuka me te kai waiata ngā mihi. Ko tānera tū te tēnei, e mihi atu ki a tātou katoa, hei a tērā wiki, maurio ra tātou katoa. 
Just wondering, on that journey to establishing the marae, are you taking some of those that younger generation with you? Well, what we've done, part and parcel of our structure of setting up the committee in relation to the marae is we have our pakeke and our crow and our kuia. And there's always a place for them. When there's no structure for them, they can come and go when they like. We have a... Also, we have a marketing committee that's got a lot of the young ones involved and fantastic people. You know, they've got some fantastic jobs and skills that they can offer, offer our community and our people. Um, and we're involving all different levels of the community. The trouble is, hey, you know, when, you, when you're here and you've got every walker here all together, everybody wants it to be there, there, um, there uh, you know, uh, the kawa and all those things, but we, you know, when you're when you're away from home, it's uh, uh, you know, katakatoa, uh, Māori. We got to come together as one. And whilst we will have our our different hui's, uh, the most important thing is to pull everyone in together, and more so our young people, and get them more involved. And I've uh, been working with our crow and queer, indicating that the time is now to allow our young people to flourish and not to hold them back, but to guide them. Actually, just on that, um, everyone having, wanting to have their say with their own tikanga kawa, um, is there a danger of, if you try to generalise what, what their identity as a Māori is, as opposed to actually identifying their own individual iwi hapu whānau? Uh, you know, that's a good question. There could be. They could be. Uh, at this stage, I can't see it because, you know, uh, everyone's got their own... Um, uh, they've got their own groups of people in the different areas, and when they come together, for example, like I said before, the two hui, um, hui were all two hui, or have the kawa, and they can sit down and do their thing. But where, where it doesn't... Um, and why it's important for Marae is when they start intermarrying with Lebanese, intermarrying with different co- other cultures... And start and start and they start going on to a different journey, and then when they have to come back, that's where it gets a little bit tricky. Other than that, I think it's no different to being back home. It's just that where all the wakas are together, and uh, and and everyone's proud of their kawa, but we also respect each other's, and and I think that's the key. I don't think that to be a big drama. It's only when you interact with uh, with the different uh, cultures out there that I think is could be a stumbling block. But, you know, provided we've got our language school um, and our marae up there where our crow and queer can keep on nursing through, um, generally I think we'll be all right. Tipini Kenan, no te whanau apanui, mena te parau, ona iwi. And the fundraising at Ōpū have a page on the Bebo website. Their address is bebo.com forward slash Sydney Marae Appeal. That's all one word, so check it out. Ane te whakabarama, a te whakatauki nei. He ao te rangi ka uhia, he kai te whare wananga ka tōroa. As clouds deck the heaven, so food prolongs the wananga. The food of knowledge leads to extended sessions of the whare wananga, the house of learning. Kia ora, ko Joe O'Brien taku ingo, ko Ngāti Awa tuku iwi. And that brings Tiahika to a close. Next week on the show, we'll be taking a look at the rights of Indigenous people from around the world. 
e mihi mahana ki ngā kaikororo e tēnei wiki. Ki te whānau kei konei, rātou mā ngā kairā wikiwiki mihini, nā tangata ke roti te whare pukapuka me te kai waiata ngā mihi. Ko tānera tūta tēnei, e mihi atu ki a tātou katoa, hei a tērā wiki, mairi ora tātou katoa.